are listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and we want to welcome you to episode 69, our final episode for season three, our annual Christmas album review. Today, Abigail got to select the album in consultation with me, and I managed to pull a real oddball for the beer. Got lucky at the end. And we'll share those stories uh, as we get going. Abigail, why don't you tell us a little bit about why we picked this album? Yeah, so this is a very special Christmas three, and this was a charity album, a series of charity albums for the Special Olympics, I believe, back in the 90s. And this album has a family favorite Christmas song on it, which is Christmas by Blues Traveler. And, you know, throughout the year, as we're thinking ahead and planning what we're going to do for our Christmas special, this album was on my mind a lot because we reviewed four by Blues Traveler this season. As I discussed on that episode, pretty much the only thing I knew about Blues Traveler was this Christmas song. And it is such a staple in our house. It has appeared on every sort of Christmas album that you have made of your personal favorites and what you consider to be classic Christmas songs. And then on the Hummel Family Favorite Christmas Song album, it makes an appearance. So Christmas by Blues Traveler is basically, in my opinion, it is the Christmas song. (laughs) (laughs) And it comes from this album, A Very Special Christmas 3, which happens to also have a ton of other bangers on it by some very surprising people, people who were big in the 90s, but also some names I had never heard of and some names that I had heard of, but didn't know that they were that big at that time. So it's a really interesting collection of artists and songs. A lot of these are original songs. A lot of them are very classic Christmas songs. And then some don't seem to be originals, but seem to be very obscure Christmas songs that these people truly dug out of the trenches of Christmas song lore. So I'm very excited to talk to you about this one. And I'm also very excited for the beer because you really put in the work to find what we're going to be drinking today. I got so lucky. (laughs) So I went to Total Wine, not knowing what we were going to do, looking for specifically seasonal beers, holiday beers, whatever, winter ales and Christmas warmers and all those things. And I found a collection of stuff. I put a whole box together for you and I shipped it to you on a Saturday. On our Pops on Hops Facebook account, we follow a bunch of breweries. And Tarpon River Brewing, which is here in Fort Lauderdale, local place, great food, put up an advertisement for a holiday collection that they were releasing that are perfect for us. Well, <laughs> well, style-wise, they're perfect for me. They are barrel-aged stouts, classic winter fare. But the beer names and labels are unbelievable. And I'm only going to reveal them as we go through it. We'll have a little introduction of each one as we go. So they're all barrel-aged stouts from Tarpon River Brewing. And so I placed the advance order, went down and got them. Mom and I went down, we picked them up. And then on the Monday, (laughs) after I'd already shipped you the box, I shipped you the second box with a note that said, I'm calling an audible because we have to do this this year. I actually thought about buying them after I sent you the original box and like holding them for a year. They are barrel-aged stouts. They would have been fine on the shelf for a year. And then I went, nope, 
Got to do this. Got to do it this year. These are in line with the sort of Bourbon County series that gets released every year. We also had a Three Sons years ago did a Broward County series just for fun yeah. that was based on the Bourbon County series. And so these are along those lines. And so we're going to start off with one that is for you more than anybody. Noting the ugly sweater I'm wearing and the mug I will be drinking out of. So we're going to start off with the earliest part of the holiday season that we can, and that's the stout mare before Christmas. And this is literally artwork designed to look like the nightmare before Christmas. It's just so fabulous. Now, they're covered in wax. Like we have a whole process to open these things. So good luck with that because we have to get wax off before we can get to the bottle cap. Yeah, I haven't quite figured out way to do this yet you got to dig deep i do also like that the wax is different colors based on the uh based on the movie or the show so i guess i gave it away that these are all based on famous holiday entertainment i'm not sure that's too much of a spoiler oh my god it's the wax is thicker at the top it is really thick harpin river i have a suggestion for you <laughs> here we go hops on hops for your marketing information well we do owe Tarpon River a visit, I think. It's a cool place to hang. You know what they do down there that I love? They partner with a lot of rescue organizations and they do these fundraisers down there that are just spectacular. I've been to a Great Dane. They had a Beagle one recently. I love Great Danes. I got it. I got the wax off. I'm so close. I have the cap off. I poured it out. It has essentially no head. I hope this isn't a flat beer. Oh, it's a little bubbly. Okay. All right, so let me tell you a little bit about this beer while we attempt to get through the wax here. So this one, again, is called uh, Stout Mare Before Christmas, and it shows the Orchestrated Minds logo on here as well, which is another brewery in Broward. Yes, I think it's a collaboration. Is it a collab? Awesome. Oh, yeah, it says that in what I'm about to read. So it says, Introducing Stout Mare Before Christmas, a pastry stout inspired by a beloved childhood movie. This decadent brew delights the senses with the flavors of a delectable pastry and the darkness of Oogie Boogie himself. Crafted through a collaboration with Orchestrated Minds, prepare yourself for a remarkable experience that will leave your taste buds in awe. Imagine indulging in a rich, dark chocolate bar complemented by a captivating, smoky aroma. The addition of heavenly Tahitian vanilla and a subtle graham cracker finish completes the sublime masterpiece. Brace yourself for the ultimate s'mores experience, embodied in the form of an imperial stout. Uh, 16.2% ABV. What? And so I'm going to suggest we don't. Oh my God. Are they all, are they all that high? I, didn't I don't know. I would drink a third to a half of that one. I'm ready to have a sip. All right. Holiday cheers. Or as my glass says, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Mm, I love it. I'm sure it's a little boozy for you. It's quite boozy. It's really good. You know what it tastes like? I do get the smokiness that they talked about. Yeah, yeah. For me, I get some like banana in there. And so to me, it's reading like bananas foster. That's interesting. I, I was thinking marshmallow. And maybe that was because they said s'mores on the label. I think that was the intention. But I get banana in there for some reason. Well, I'm darn happy with it. And I'm afraid I have to behave myself because these are very strong beers. We already know where this is headed with 16 tracks. So let's be on our best behavior and just sip these pleasantly. I'll try. And also, I these are glass bottles, so I'm really hopeful that I can peel these labels off because I'd really love to share the artwork with everybody because they're fabulous. I'll just make a quick comment about the album. I was fascinated with this series of albums when they came out. I don't think you can understand when the first album came out in 1987, how excited I was as a rock music fan 
to have an album of brand new music by really timely artists. Your point about, it's like a snapshot of 1997, the one we're going to do today, who was on it. And that was the same thing in 87. You know, it was Springsteen, it was U2, it was Sting, it was John Mellencamp. You know, it was really artists who were in the charts at the time. And it was a fabulous collection. I purchased all three volumes. The fourth one was a live album. I didn't get it. I probably should. And then there is a fifth one floating around that I've not heard before. But I thought these first three albums were really excellent. There's some interesting stuff on here. I find on this one, you know, now that I'm really analyzing it, I find the first half stronger than the second half because I think the more mellow and kind of experimental songs fall in the second half. The first half is really up-tempo and powerful in that way. The second half is kind of mellow and relevant. I don't dislike it, but it is a much slower half. And so overall, I think I like the first half better. There's only a couple songs on here I really don't particularly care for. I had an easy time picking my least favorite, honestly, but I had a hard time picking my, I, I really have a top five, but really did enjoy this exercise because this is an album I have played a lot over the years. And it was really fun to get into a little bit of the origins of the songs is where I'm going with this. There's some really traditional songs on here that I went and kind of pulled up the history of the song because I was kind of interested in it. So I'm going to cover some of that on songs that you're so familiar with lyrically that there's probably no point discussing the lyrics, you know. I just wanted to support what you said. I agree that the first half is stronger. And then I did want to say, I think they did a really good job of sprinkling the more religious Christmas songs in with the secular stuff. A lot of these are traditional religious Christmas songs. We start off with, I saw three ships. And we end with We Three Kings. And we end with We Three Kings. Exactly. So they don't shy away from this is about the birth of Jesus Christ, but they do a really good job of balancing that out in the sequencing with the non-religious stuff. So I really appreciated that. I mean, I love when artists make original Christmas songs. I tend to prefer a more secular Christmas song just by my nature, but some of the religious Christmas songs on here I find to be very delightful. One is in my top three. One is my on the cusp song. So really fun interpretations on this one of the traditional stuff in addition to the original Christmas songs, which I love as well. And it makes me wonder if an artist is approached. I'm sure they picked the song that they wanted to do. It's also interesting to see which artists picked the more religious songs versus the more secular songs. You know, Steve Winwood is on here, famous 60s musician, probably most prominent with Traffic back in that era, and then had a bit of a solo revival in the 80s. And he picked a traditional Catholic Christmas carol. Tracy Chapman picked a very traditional religious carol. And really so did Natalie Merchant, although hers has a little more of an interesting twist when we get to it. So that's kind of fun because that, I think, tells you a little bit about the personality or maybe the belief system of the artist as well. All right. Well, why don't we start off with the aforementioned track one. I saw three ships by Sting. Three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. And what was in those ships all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day? And what was in those ships all three on Christmas Day in the morning? Our Savior Christ and His Lady on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. Our Savior Christ and His Lady on Christmas Day in the morning. Pray will I sail those ships all three on 
Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, pray with us, sail those ships are free, on Christmas Day in the morning, are they sailing to Bethlehem, on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, are they sailing to Bethlehem, on Christmas Day in the morning, and all the bells on earth shall ring, on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, and all the bells on basically could have just played that whole song it's only a minute and 43 seconds but this is my third favorite song on the album i'll get out of here how cool is that obviously we have talked about sting before we talked about the police albums and yada mom dada but sting has had a very interesting solo career including a winter album that came out in i think like 2009 maybe 2010 i think it's around there yeah for sure that's a really fun album it feels traditional. It has what sound like pan flutes. Like, I don't know if that instrument has like a modern equivalent, but it sounds like kind of medieval, like pan flutes, like make a prominent feature throughout that album. And it's really fun, but it's more focused on winter as opposed to the Christmas holiday. And so I just wanted to put in a little plug for that album because I really love that album. It's called If On A Winter's Night, I believe, by Sting. This song reminds me of the ethos of that album in a lot of ways. It's using very traditional kind of low-tech instrumentation. We've got percussion, which sounds wooden, and then the the primary other instrument is a woodwind. That It just, it sounds not of the time that Jesus would have been born. You know, it doesn't sound like that old. But it just sounds like we're hearkening back to a more traditional time. And I think that's a really lovely sound to have on this song. It makes me feel happy. It doesn't have like a particularly Christmassy sound to it. There's no bells on it or anything. But it's a fun kind of low tech way to open this album. And I think it's lovely and and delightful. Yeah, it plays almost like um, traditional Irish music. Yeah. With that kind of sound that you're talking about. And this song, by the way, could fit very nicely on his winter album. It's called If On A Winter's Night. It was 2009. You're exactly right. I love that album, too. It's a little bit of a slower, yes. maybe a little darker. It makes you think of winter, the way it's a minor key in it and and those sorts of things. I like that album for what it is. It's like sitting around the fireplace kind of music. It's really a nice, lovely album. And this song could fit very nicely in there. But by the way, I also think this is a great way to open this album. Yeah. And we referenced before that the album opens with I Saw Three Ships and it ends with We Three Kings, which kind of are two maybe variations on telling the same story because this song is old. There's versions of this from the 1600s. Uh, The modern publication of it was in 1833, published by William Sandys. There's been a lot of talk about, well, ships, what three ships? I mean, Bethlehem's a little bit landlocked. Uh, The closest body of water apparently is um, the Dead Sea, which is 20 miles away. And so People have looked at that and tried to figure out what are they talking about with the three ships. The obvious thing is that it's maybe a parallel reference to the camels, the three camels, the three kings. Camels were called ships of the desert. But I didn't know this. There's another possibility, which was that apparently they took the purported relics of the biblical magi to England around the 12th century. Sort of Ark of the Covenant, right? It's like watching the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like they have these real relics and they transported them to England on three different ships. And so there's some discussion that maybe this is referencing that the three ships are taking these relics back to England and that that might be the origin of the song. I didn't know any of that history, which I thought was really fascinating. So kind of fun. That is fun. And um, I 
happen to know the names of the three wise men. I don't know why I know that. That's a fact I happen to know. I have a place we can discuss that. Do you? Because the last song of the album is called We Three Kings. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. Okay. <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait. So put a pin in that till we talk about the actual song that <laughs> truly involves uh, the three kings. Okay, I'll save my silly story for those three kings. Well, there's also a story about why those names, because those names are never referenced in the Bible. So there is some history as to why those names came to be. So teaser for track 16. All right. Well, that takes us to track two, Christmas Time by the Smashing Pumpkins. I remember dreaming, wishing, hoping, praying for this day. Now I sit and watch them, the little ones I real kind of sleeper for me because if you listen to this song you would not think it was by the smashing pumpkins because it's so tender and lovely and christmasy and all i know of the smashing pumpkins really is from guitar hero 3 legends of rock which is to say one song i don't think that makes you an expert but go ahead oh but for a band to be on guitar hero 3 legends of rock they have to have a particular sound you know a lot of those were metal and metal adjacent bands. And this is such a lovely song. And I played the section I played because it really makes obvious that this is about seeing the joy of Christmas through the eyes of children and what makes Christmas magical and special for them. Watching them experience the magic of Christmas is what keeps the magic of Christmas alive in adults. And I think that is very sweet. You know, it's not necessarily a concept that has never been spoken about in a song before, but, you know, this was 1997. <laughs> and is this an original song? This is an original song. This is credited to Smashing Pumpkins. I'm pretty sure it's like a Billy Corgan solo effort. And he worked on it apparently a long time. Like he flirted around with this idea and may have taken, you know, five to 10 years to actually write it. Really? Yeah. I, I read that. I didn't print out the sheet on that, but I remember reading that he kind of stewed over the song for a long time. And I wonder if that's because it is a little counter to you know, what the Smashing Pumpkins were in music. And this is, to your point, it's a very sentimental song. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It really does capture that spirit of looking at Christmas through the eyes of children. This is my On the Cusp song. This is my fourth favorite on the album. And I love that it's an original song. I love that there's great takes on songs we've all heard before by really prominent members of the rock and roll community and their hip hop community. But man, when you bring an original song to the table, you already have a leg up for me. And so I love that this is an original song. It really makes it for me. I agree. And this is a concept I feel like you really vibe with, which is children experiencing Christmas is what keeps the magic alive. Exactly. You know, we have a very adult-like Christmas in our home now between the four of us, right? Yeah. We've all aged out of the magic part of it. And so trying to find something magical to do around the holidays gets to be harder and harder when it's for adults because we don't have the kids who wake up and have all that sort of mystery and magic surrounding the holiday. We're all past the magic, right? Yeah. But it becomes what it's supposed to be, which is it's us together doing something, right? Your thing last year where you said, 
I want to go somewhere cold. And then we turned that into going to Philly and seeing family and all of that was great. And, you know, we're floating ideas right now. What are we going to do with the week between Christmas and New Year's if everybody's here? You know, you threw out, let's go to St. Augustine and look at the lights, which is a fabulous idea. I was looking at, should we take the catamaran down from Miami to Key West or from Naples to Key West and spend a couple of nights? Go, go down by boat. Something we haven't done before and throw it into the mix to make it special around that time. Because the 50,000 things under the tree just doesn't work anymore when there's not young eyes to stare at it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. Didn't mean to get all sad, but <laughs> <laughs> not sad. I'm but... thinking about this too, because I've seen a bunch of things about how Black Friday this year was like the deals were apparently really bad this year. Now, I never really partake in Black Friday myself, but. I do remember the insane 70 to 90% off. Like everything was basically free on Black Friday. Like that's not really a thing anymore. And then I was thinking about, we obviously got tons of toys and stuff. I was thinking about like, what toys do the kids these days use? Like, do they play with toys anymore? Or is it all just like... Electronics and... iPad. Yeah. Right. Like what kinds of toys are being opened in Christmas 2023? So like I've kind of been pondering these topics because, you know, if Black Friday falls. America's done. America's done, in my opinion. Maybe part of the problem with Black Friday was they diluted it. You know, it was September 1st when I saw my first Christmas commercial this year. Yeah, that's true. And it was done kind of tongue in cheek, but it was still Christmas music in a commercial in September. And I'm not for that. No. I'm really not. I can't get anywhere to approach Christmas till Thanksgiving's done. And I was never a Black Friday guy. I didn't go shopping on Black Friday. Yeah. Uh, I was never into that whole thing. But that was, you know, like the kickoff of the holiday season, the way it was supposed to be. And now it's not anymore. So having a single day like that's pointless. And now, you know, it's you'd have to look at the total, right? You'd have to look at Small Business Saturday and Cyber Monday and- right. Right. You know, the nonprofits this year were, were lamenting that by the time you got to Giving Tuesday, nobody had any money left from the other three days. And like, I can't be thinking about it. I'm lucky if I get the Christmas boxes out of the attic on Black Friday, maybe stage a tree. That's a win for me. <laughs> if I can yeah. have all the Christmas decorations up by the end of Thanksgiving weekend, I'm on schedule. Yeah. And so I can't ponder shopping. But, we, you know, we've got to downsize that to where if we find something that we think is relevant, we get it. But we look for the same thing we've always looked for. Let's go somewhere and spend some time together and do something that's a little bit special. Yeah. That's a much better holiday for me. So I'm teasing the fact that in a few days here, there's not going to be a lot under the tree for you to open. So just relax. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I'm sure you're not. Christmas has been canceled for years, as we know. <laughs> Except for the monkey bread. Except for the monkey bread. That's the only thing. I said Black Friday, but if the monkey bread falls, that's the true end of Christmas. In the eggnog. All right. Speaking of the magic of children at Christmas, let's move on to track three. Children, go where I send thee. And this rendition is by Natalie Merchant. Children, go where I Go. 
one of those songs that is repeated and a little something something is added to each line kind of like uh the old lady who swallowed the fly or the 12 days of christmas really or the 12 days of christmas so very repetitive you know not something you need to focus on (laughs) you can sort of just zone out and let this one play but i love the use of the organ in this one i think that is a ton of fun and it's a very Like at the end, I didn't play this part, but she has this whole cast of characters who comes in and they each play a character in the song. Someone's the Hebrew children and someone's Paul and Silas and they come in and they sing their little part. So it's really cute. It makes me feel like now they don't sound like they're children's voices. Some of them sound like they could be children, but they don't all sound like they could be children. So it's not like she went into like a children's choir, which would be super cute if she had done that. But I still think it's very fun that she involved other people in this and used what I assume is a traditional sort of nursery rhyme structured song. I assume she didn't make this one up. And yeah, I I enjoy this one very much. This is my third favorite. Nice. I love the saxophone. I think that's a key element. And this one is very jazzy. But that organ and the way the performance was going made me think that it felt gospel to me. Mm Mm-hmm. So I went and did some research on the actual origins of the song. This is not obviously a Natalie Merchant song. And this is a very traditional African-American spiritual that has its roots in Europe, but was sort of adopted here in the United States in the South. And the references to things like Paul and Silas and the Hebrew children, I guess in a lot of African-American spirituals, they would use those elements of other populations of slaves, right? Jews in Egypt, as a way to discuss slavery in America indirectly in the African-American spirituals. And so this has been a traditional song for a very, very, very long time. It was first recorded to capture the lyrics. In 1908, somebody recorded it just to hear how it was structured. At that point, it was called the 12 Apostles. And usually it works its way up to somewhere between 10 and 12, almost like the 12 days of Christmas in some regards. Wow. To get to 12 for the 12 apostles, 11 for the 11 deriders, 10 for the 10 commandments, 9 for the 9 all dressed so fine, 8 for the 8 that stood at the gate, 7 for the 7 that never got to heaven, 6 for the 6 that never got fixed. We don't get to any of those in this particular version. I think she only gets up as high as 5 in her version of the song. And so it was finally recorded. The most famous original version of it was a group called the Golden Gate Quartet, who recorded it commercially for the first time in 1937. And believe it or not, I have found that. Wow. And I am going to find this and play you a little bit of the song Go Where I Send Thee by the Golden Gate you Quartet. Go where I send you. I know then how will you send me? Oh, well, I'm going to send you one by one because of one but a little baby, baby that's born, 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 born in Bethlehem. Brother, go where I send you. I know then how will you send me? Oh, well, I'm going to send you two by two because two was a Paul and a Silas and a one but a little baby, baby that's born. So there you have it, a little bit of the uh, original recording of that. But uh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And for Natalie Merchant, 
in the 90s, she wasn't known for, you know, she released an album maybe 10 years later, maybe 15 years later of traditional music, folk songs, public domain type songs, double album of this kind of material. But clearly, as far back as 1997, she had an interest in that. And I think this is a really interesting pick. It's kind of known as a Christmas carol now, but it wasn't originally. Hmm. Yeah, I guess just acknowledging where someone was born doesn't make a song necessarily about their birth. It was more to me, the fact that it sounded like a gospel song, it's more of a religious spiritual song that became more of a Christmas song because of the references, I think, to being born in Bethlehem. But that's not really the focus of the song. Right. All right. That brings us to track four, which is another song that has a history that I saw on your playlist. I'm sure we're going to have another thing to talk about here. This is Santa Baby by the Christmas All-Stars. It was December 24th on Holla Sabbath at dark. My man Santa seen the Reverend gave the strangers from off. He said that giving was his living and I had to take part. So I grabbed a bag of goodies and hopped up on his card. I laced the pockets of the porn, gave the hoodie a play. Dropped some dollars up on Holla Santa. Santa Baby by the Christmas All-Stars, who consists of Rev Run, Mace, Puff Daddy, Snoop Doggy Dog, Salt and Peppa, Onyx, and Keith Murray. It's funny that they have Snoop Dogg in there as Snoop Doggy Dog. That's how... Oh, so at the time he was Snoop Doggy Dog. Yep, that's right. Oh, how funny. Okay, so Puff Daddy must have been Puff Daddy at the time. That's right. Although now he is... P. Diddy or Diddy. Or didn't he? Who knows at this point? This might be my favorite version of this song. Wow. That's not saying much. I've never been a huge fan of this song. And what I really like about that, and you captured it in your clip. You know, the song is really about a woman who's a little bit of a gold digger. I don't want to go there uh, after our discussion about gold digging in the rap scene in the last episode. But it's really about a woman who's asking for all these high-priced gifts, right? She's asking Santa Claus to bring all these high-priced gifts to her on Christmas. But then they did a great job of comparing what Christmas was like in the African-American neighborhoods that they are not getting necessarily the same volume of gifts as some of their peers, right? Which I think is a really interesting kind of social commentary. So I like that back and forth. I think this is really cleverly done. And so, yeah, it is my favorite version of this. Now, I say this is not a favorite of mine because of that. I've never really liked the please send me the convertible and the diamond ring and all this stuff from the original song. Now, this song was originally written in 1950s. It was written by Joan Javits and Philip Springer. Eartha Kitt recorded the original version of it, became the highest selling Christmas song of 1953. But critically, 
it got mixed reviews because of exactly what I was talking about. They called it a little too suggestive for a holiday-themed song, and even the writer was initially dissatisfied with it and claimed it was one of his weakest efforts in his writing career. And Eartha Kitt even re-recorded a slightly different version later on, huh. as if she even had some misgivings later on. The version I was always familiar with, believe it or not, was on volume one of this collection, performed by Madonna, where she pushed her voice up to sound almost like Betty Boop. It almost came across as satire, the way she performed it, which I have a little bit more of a preference for, but didn't really care for it even then. But if you don't mind, I have a little bit of the Eartha Kitt version if you'd like to hear it. I would. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa baby, a 54 convertible to light blue I'll wait up for you dear, Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight So the Madonna version's a little bit faster than that A little more up-tempo this is just a really interesting, sultry performance by Eartha Kitt. The only other thing I can tell you about this song, not this particular version of it, is when your Uncle Derek and I put together our famous The Ghosts of Christmas Presents double CD of Christmas songs. We were downloading off some streaming services back then. Napster, LimeWire was another one. And trying to find some songs that we didn't own between us to put on the collection. And we found a version of the song that was credited to Marilyn Monroe. And that's the version we put on the album. And it turns out, we discovered years later, that that wasn't actually Marilyn Monroe. That was a Marilyn Monroe impersonator. But because of the way people did file sharing back then, somebody put that up as credited to Marilyn Monroe, and then it spread like a cancer, and everybody thought it was this version. Marilyn Monroe never recorded this song. And if I ever had a chance to do the revised edition of that disc, this is the version that I would put on there, the definitive version by Eartha Kitt. I, I like Eartha Kitt's uh, performance of it, but I think the version on Very Special Christmas 3 is my favorite. I've never had a problem with this song in terms of the like gold digger thing. For me, it was more bothersome that the singer's flirting with Santa. <laughs> that may be why it was called suggestive. Yeah, of course. And people perform it. They make their voices really breathy. I'm not a fan of that sound in general. So like, it's not my favorite for that reason. Plus, I don't know. Just let Santa and Mrs. Claus leave them be. Just let them be happy in their marriage together. <laughs> don't try and do anything. Yeah. Come on now. But I think this version is a ton of fun. I had never really looked up who the Christmas All-Stars were. But in the section I played when Snoop Dogg comes on, his first line is, cookies and milk satin and silk and he came on and i was like oh my god it's snoop dogg like his voice is just so easily recognizable so he comes in with his cookies and milk and i was like oh yeah <laughs> it's the 90s baby we got snoop dogg in here so yeah i just i find this song really delightful my favorite thing about santa baby and versions of it where people choose to do this is changing the gifts that the person is asking for to match the story any given artist is trying to tell right so like changing the original lyrics 
I think that's a fun addition. And many people have done it when they've covered this song. They'll change the list of gifts. And that's my favorite sort of Easter egg to listen for in covers of this song is, oh, what gifts does this person want that are different from the original? They did that in this one. So yeah, I find this song to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, on the writing credits on this, they credited the original writers of Santa Baby, but also Lauren Hill, Wyclef Jean. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool that it's a collaboration between two different generations of artists and it works really, really well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could have easily put this up in my top five. This is probably number six, believe it or not, on this. Wow. If I went that deep in the list. But I don't want to get involved in math because as we learned in our last episode, math is really, really tough when you have 16 tracks. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. That brings us to track five. Oi to the world by no doubt. song. It's a lot of fun. This is my second favorite song on this album. We have a match. This is my second favorite song on the album as well. It is so much fun. I mean, it's a ska Christmas song and it has all the elements of ska in it. I played the lovely horn solo, but there's screaming of oi and the song itself is a story between two competing factions of punks and the friendship that is formed between them during a Christmas fight. <laughs> and the story itself is very charming, very punk. But the fast-paced lyrics, the horns, the shouts of oi oi, all of it just make this so much fun to listen to. Weirdly enough, nothing gets me in the Christmas spirit quite like this song. It kind of forces you into it because it's so upbeat and so much fun. And the ultimate message is, it's Christmas. Why can't we all be friends? And I mean, that's the true meaning of Christmas. So I think it's a perfect song. Yeah, it's such a high energy delight on this album, an unexpected delight. Mm -hmm. And it's really a standout on the album. Mm -hmm. Could easily be my favorite, except for we're going to match on our favorite. I have a feeling. Certainly. That's probably not a spoiler there. But yeah, this is the one I look forward to the most when I listen to this album. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for it to come on. And then it's gone in like a blink. It's a very short song. Yeah, it's like 247 or something. By the way. You know that I saw No Doubt open for you 2 in 2001. Oh. That's who opened for them at the concert in L.A. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. So I saw them live at the Staples Center. How was that? It was great. No Doubt could have probably filled the Staples Center at the time that they were touring with you 2 just so you know. Of course, they were from that area. I mean, they were uh, 
LA-based band. But anyway, I thought this was their song. And it turns out it's not. It's a song by the Vandals that was only a year earlier. They recorded a song that was only one year old. And I'm going to share this. So in this version, when they play the horns, they're playing a Christmas melody. I think it's Joy to the World, right? They're playing Joy to the World outside of the context of the song. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember in the song I'm going to play whether that's the case or not. Here is Oi to the World by the Vandals. So the first thing I noticed is they do use the joy to the world in the break. It's bells there. Uh, where do you think that band's from? Well, I would guess someplace in England. You would be 100% wrong. That's a band from Orange County, California, which is why <laughs> no doubt would know of them. Sure. That makes sense. And why they would have been familiar with that song. And so I'm listening to this thinking, oh, Here's this punk band from England somewhere, Scotland, whatever. They're not, they're from the U.S. It's amazing. So anyway, I like that version of the song. I feel like it's more punk. It doesn't sound as produced as the No Doubt version. Yeah. But what a great pick for No Doubt to include on this album. It's fabulous. It's pretty obscure. Yeah. So I didn't realize it wasn't them until I was reading the writing credits. And this is credited to Joe Escalante, who's the mainstay of the Vandals. Um, they've had a lot of personnel changes over the years, and he's like the main guy who's hung around through all of that. And that's how I discovered that that was not No Doubt's original material. Stupid research. Well... I'm tended to say they made it better. They cut out that spoken word piece at the beginning and they just open it with that really cool guitar. Or maybe it's a bass riff. I think it's bass. So yeah, I think they made it better. I think I agree with you. Plus the horns. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, one of the reasons this bumped up for me was because of the horns. You know, we've done almost a third of the tracks. and uh, I, I was going to say. I think it's time to rate the Stout Mare before Christmas. I agree with you. I poured myself just the littlest, tiniest amount, and I haven't finished it. So let me take my last couple of sips. No, please do. I really like it. And you apparently don't. But that's okay. You know, I don't. <laughs> you know, sweet stouts, heavy stouts have never been a category you've been a fan of. You're going to say it's a little bit sticky. And I would agree with you, but that's not a category I dislike. I'm going big on this one. I'm giving this one a four and a half. I would go higher, but I'm afraid I have two other ones in here and I don't know what to do. I might retcon this one when I taste the other two. I like this one that much. It hasn't changed much since it's warmed up. Yeah. Whatever that sweetness is, in my mind, it tastes like marshmallow. I get some chocolate notes on it for sure. It's boozy. You can't drink these fast, that's for sure. But I think this is fabulous in this category. So I'm going to give it a four and a half with an asterisk. I may retcon that by the end of the episode. And I <laughs> would not drink this again. I'm sorry to hear that. I think I'm going to have a hard day today. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I knew you were. Yeah. It's unfortunate because like it's just too boozy. It's making my whole chest feel warm. Like I just took a shot or something. And I don't want that. I mean, it's good for winter. Right. Man, if you were sitting by a fireplace, oh my. It got warm this weekend, but it's been quite cold here. It was like in the 40s at kickball this week. And I brought one of the winter ales that you sent me. And it was tasty, but it didn't keep me warm. And this is not the thing I'm usually commenting on as a Floridian. No, of course not. (laughs) I'm usually commenting on, is it tolerable to drink this in the middle of summer when it's like 100 degrees and the feels like what the humidity is like 110 and... None of the beers we're having today would be suitable for that. No. It is wild how much this one like makes me feel warm, but that's just simply not... It's Christmas. Again, if I wanted liquor, I would drink liquor. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. So I'm going to give this a 2.75. Oh. I genuinely don't see how any of these can be a three or above, but I'm going to give all of them a shot. Okay. Well, you have to. That's what we do here. Of course. Of course. And and I did want to comment on the smokiness. I mean, they talked about s'mores. It was supposed to be s'mores inspired. It is definitely smoky, but I do still get banana in there. So I don't know what that is coming from. I don't know. I I think what you're calling banana, I'm calling marshmallow. Yeah. It doesn't read as banana to me for whatever reason. All right. I'm working on the wax on bottle two, which we're going to drink next. The abominable snow stout based on the holiday children's classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. These are abominable. (laughs) The Abomber Bottle Snowman? The Abomber Bottle Snowman. (laughs) You know what? This was not nice of them either to do this wax thing. So, Oh, I don't know about that. They're gorgeous. I don't think this is wax. I think this is plastic. What is wax if not nature's plastic? I win again. All right. I'm unroofing. Oh, no. I should read the bottle before I take the cap. Okay. What do we know about the Abominable Snow Stout? Venture into the wintry realm of the abominable snow stout, where legend meets liquid lore. This barrel-aged imperial has slumbered in Elijah Craig barrels for eight years, emerging in all its glory in February of 2022. With each sip, journey through the flavors as rich as the highland at night skies. Caramel and graham crackers intertwine, while toasted marshmallows and a hint of coconut add an exotic twist. The dark chocolate is as intense as our stout's namesake, creating a complex melody. Above all, the ghost of bourbon whispers, adding mystique to this narrative in a bottle. At 16.2% ABV, the abominable snow stout commands respect and promises adventure. Unfold the story as you delve into this dark, mysterious brew, a tribute to the legends and the wild spirit of the mountains. And I can't wait, and I'm sure you can. So this one's also supposed to be marshmallow then. That's what it sounds like. Ah ha ha. Success? I've done it. I didn't even take all the wax off. All right. Still more holiday cheers. Again, not much of a head on this one. I find this equally good to the last one and maybe slightly better. Again, it's dark. It's rich. It's chocolatey. It's boozy. Maybe less of a marshmallow quality to it than the last one. Hmm. Okay. I find this one tolerable. It feels less boozy to me. Yeah. You get it up front, but it clears the palate pretty quickly. So I'm less bothered by that one, but we'll see. I'm going to slowly sip this so that I can uh, make it to the end of the episode. (laughs) That sounds like a plan. All right. So let's now listen to a little bit of 
Blue Christmas by Cheryl Crow. on the harmonica solo it's a must because it makes it a blues christmas yes which is one thing i like about this song honestly <laughs> I, and i don't mean that in a bad way i'm not a huge fan of blue christmas anyway i think this is a perfectly fine version of it and i think playing into the blues makes it work even better for me i'm just not a huge fan of this particular song i agree with you that was going to be my comment too it's sad it's not a song i want to listen to when i'm trying to get into the christmas spirit because it's sad and i understand you know a lot of people can't get home for christmas and so there is a place for those sad songs about not being able to be home for christmas but we've enough <laughs> yeah i told you the story about uh, i'll be home for christmas right the bing crosby version of that song i don't know if we've shared it on the podcast or not so forgive me if i'm repeating a story from a previous episode but oh i do know this yeah you know the story but i was driving home yeah from work and i was going right through the gut of downtown la near the holidays and i was listening to christmas music and i was boxed in on all three sides by trucks i couldn't see anything and on the side out my window was a concrete barricade so i had no visibility and i was in stop and go traffic in downtown la and that bing crosby i'll be home for christmas song came on if only in my dreams i cried in the car i was like i just want to be home now <laughs> It's got nothing to do with Christmas. I just don't want to be in this traffic. Yeah. So yes, a sad Christmas song has a place, but I don't necessarily seek them out. They're not fun. You know, the definitive version of this is obviously Elvis Presley's from his best-selling Christmas album of all time, by the way. Wow. I read somewhere. And this is on that album, his version of Blue Christmas. Not the original version, by the way. It was not written for him. In 1948, it was first recorded by Doy O'Dell. Believe it or not, I found that on YouTube. I'll share a little bit of that in a second. But then other things brought it to more prominence than the original version of it. And so when Elvis did his album in 1957, he included it and it became kind of the definitive version of the song. Hmm. He's got a really interesting version of it because his background singers really make that song. And I'm pretty sure the background singers were like a famous vocal group. Let me see if I can find that. Oh, yeah. The Jordanaires. I think they sang back up on a lot of songs in that era. I think that was part of their deal. They had some original songs, but they also sung back up as part of the studio system that existed in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Their background makes his version really interesting. But the original version from 1948 is really kind of sad. And I'm going to share a little bit of that with you. I'll have a blue Christmas without you I'll be so blue 
decorations of red on a green Christmas tree. Won't mean a thing, dear, if you're not here with me. I'll have a blue It is fun on YouTube. You know, they have the actual original label up and you can see the writers are listed there, Billy Hayes and Jay Johnson. You can also see this was from their popular series on exclusive records. And they have to tell you that it's a vocal with instrumental on the label in case you were <laughs> unaware. But anyway, you know, a sad country style song. And I'll go back to what I said originally when you played the Sheryl Crow version. It's the first time that I recall getting a blues version of the song, which totally fits the title. So kudos to her for picking a style of music that actually fits the title better than anybody else who'd recorded it previously or that I'm aware of that recorded it previously. Well, her version is interesting because the guitar sounds very bluesy and then there's that big harmonica solo. But in the opening notes and in the verses, it's like synth based. The music is all synth and it feels kind of new wavy you know because of that and then it kind of transitions into that bluesy sound so it's a genre bending blue christmas yeah i think it's a good version of what i think is kind of a marginal song yes and i'll leave it at that agree and now this is Come on. we've been waiting all night this is the song this is the song on this, this album. is why we came here yeah everybody back off <laughs> <laughs> this is it's my favorite it's your favorite we might as well say it now. It's the American people's favorite. Christmas by Blues Traveler. As if a cold and frozen soul is warm to love, my love's own hand. So goes a prayer if for a day peace on earth and goodwill to man. And he blows the time for Christmas. And I cannot help but ask. And the children's feeling such a hard song to capture in any clip you know it is and there were so many i could have picked obviously i want to buy into the benevolence holds a special place in my heart but i picked the clip i did because i love when they transition into that singing in the round there at the end it's such a singable song because there are a lot of lyrics <laughs> and in that singing in the round piece it's so much fun when you're with your family and you're each singing a different piece of that and you're just all kind of singing your favorite verse in this song in the singing in the round. And it's such a lovely experience. I have so much love for this song. Basically, as I interpret it, it's 
about an adult who doesn't have any children in his life through whose eyes to experience the magic of Christmas. And so he's trying to find a way as an adult to bring those feelings about. I mean, the line that begins the song is maybe one of the best lyrics of all time. Comes the time for Christmas. And I really have to ask if this is feeling merry, how much longer must it last? (laughs) (laughs) It's cynical, but it's not cynical in a bah humbug way because he really wants to feel the spirit of Christmas. He's just not sure how. And he references all the other holidays that happen in December. Can we learn from the meaning of these holidays and, you know, translate that to the meaning of Christmas? And I think he's successful at the end. He's taken everything he knows and everything he remembers about Christmas as a child. And, you know, the the defining line, I think, is my God in heaven. Now I'm feeling like I'm seven. (laughs) So he's successfully made it back to that place where he can fully appreciate Christmas. Yeah, it's just a great song. The referencing of the other holidays, the inclusivity is particularly important for our family, right? Mm -hmm. We come out from two traditions in this household. And so it's a Christmas song that functions as a holiday song Mm -hmm. across the board for us. And I think that's why it's always held a special place in our family, because it's not exclusive of anybody else. It's inclusive. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like finding the spirit of the season, not necessarily the spirit of Christmas alone. Right. And I find, I know what you're talking about. We'll be in the car and this song, come on, everybody will be singing. And when we get to the round, everybody kind of keys in on one line and just repeats that one line. Like they don't move on. Or like a verse, you know, like a a set of four lines. But they just repeat (laughs) it. Everybody's doing their own repeat of a couplet. And it still sounds like we're singing in the round. We're not that elaborate. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty funny to hear it. And if we get a chance this Christmas to record that, maybe we will uh, (laughs) record it in the car and put that up on YouTube so everybody can see us in action. We'll try it multiple times. Every time that song comes on, we just have a hidden camera up. That's right. Well, we could play it over and over and over again. Mom won't care. That's canonically her favorite Christmas song of all time. That is very true. In fact, that's who contributed that to the Hummel's Favorites, which I worked on a playlist of that, Hummel Favorites, and I can't complete it because some songs aren't available on Spotify. Oh, no. But anyway, I have most of it up. That's available as a playlist if anybody's interested. But the other thing I'm doing, which I did the previous two seasons, is I'm putting together a playlist of Christmas songs by artists that we discussed this year. Yeah. So clearly this song is on that playlist because it's the Christmas song by Blues Traveler. But there's about, I think it's 12 or 13 songs on there. It's pretty good. There's a nice mix of artists from this season. I had to cheat a little bit, like Michael Jackson's really a Jackson 5 song. But I got a lot of people represented. There were some groups, obviously, like Rainbow Kitten Surprise that didn't have any Christmas material available. I think Cocaine Jesus technically counts as a Christmas song, don't you? I thought about it, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I almost did that. I almost did it, and I couldn't bring bring myself to do it. If it had been Coco Jesus, if they'd have rewritten it for the holidays, I might have stuck it on there. (laughs) So anyway, it's not historically my favorite Christmas song of all time. But it's way, way up there. Sorry, Coco Jesus. Coco Jesus. That really hit me. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm behaving myself with a beer, but I I still feel like you. I'm feeling like I'm seven. You're still feeling a little silly over there. Let's move on to track eight. And track eight is a word I can't pronounce. Iche Chune, I believe. But it's Irish Gaelic for Silent Night by Enya.
This song reminds me of a quote from Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. You really can't enjoy Shakespeare till you read it in the original Klingon. This is a Gaelic translation of an English translation of a German song. Mm-hmm. And it's mesmerizing as a meditation. I have no idea really where I'm at in the song when she's singing it. And I like the song for what it is. It's oddly compelling to me. So I'm a fan. I agree with you that it's mesmerizing. I don't know if she's singing her own backup or if she has backup vocalists, but they come in and it sounds like angelic. Like a Gregorian chant kind of thing. Uh, Yeah, Gregorian chant. But I was, you know, I was thinking like angels from heaven, right? They sound so out of this world and beautiful. Mesmerizing was the perfect word for it. It is such a meditation. It's a chant. It's a mantra. It's fascinating. And I love that we have music in Enya's presumably native Irish on this album. I think that's really special and cool. It is recognizable as Silent Night because the melody is the same. Yeah. If you were hearing this in the original German, you would know it was Silent Night. Right. Exactly. You know what it is. So you could sing along in the English lyrics and you'd be fine. You don't have to. That's the thing. You can just roll with it and enjoy it for what it is. This is very Midnight Mass. Not that I go to Midnight Mass, trust me. But like it's late on Christmas Eve and you've built the last gift and it's all under the tree and you're having your wind down eggnog sitting in the living room staring at the complete tree. And this is on. It's that kind of moment. It's a good wind down song. Yeah. But when I was saying that it's a Gaelic translation of an English translation of a German song, this song was originally written in German. It was still not Hillig at Nacht, which is Silent Night, Holy Night in German. And uh, it was written in 1818 by Franz Xaver Gruber. He composed the music to lyrics written by Joseph Moore. And they were all from Salzburg, Austria. So this was written a very long time ago. It was first recorded in 1905. I couldn't find who that artist was or the original version of it that was recorded in 1905. But I always think of Silent Night, you know, I was talking about, oh, it's the end of the night and I'm winding down and I'm playing some songs. This is one of those that very nicely falls into the Christmas carols that I would play late on Christmas Eve, just kind of hanging around mm-hmm. and everything's winding down on the night and I've put my plate of cookies out for Santa. and Cookies and milk, satin and silk. I'm not sitting in satin and silk, but I am having, you know, Uncle Steve Moore's original eggnog recipe and hanging in my living room and songs like this are what I tend to gravitate towards at that point of the night. All right. That takes us to track nine, the Christmas song by Hootie and the Blowfish. They know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child is gonna spy to see if reindeer will know how to fly. And so I'm offering this simple phrase to kids from one to ninety-two. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. is fine. I like the Christmas song, but they didn't really do anything special or different with it in this version. They kind of just did another version of the Christmas song, you know? I do know. And this is my whole assessment of Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh. I'm not a Hootie fan. 
I'm not a Blowfish fan. Really? They were one of those bands. I lump them in the Dave Matthews category. Oddly, we have Dave Matthews coming up. We do. And this is from that era. They were the darlings of this 1997 time frame. And nothing about Hootie and the Blowfish sticks with me. I never got into them as an artist. And this is exactly why. It's totally serviceable. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing unique about it. It's a fine performance. Mm-hmm. It's guitar driven, which is different from the classic original version. But I'm with you. If you're going to do something with this song, it'd be really interesting to try to do something that's radically different with it. Because if you just do kind of a ballady version of it with whatever instrumentation that you use as a band, you're going to get this. Yeah. And it's totally fine. I get that. But it doesn't stand out for me. Totally agree. And I also think we really need to rename the Christmas song. What do you want to call it? I think most people know it as chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Well, that's a common subtitle. And I agree with you. I'm not sure why that didn't become the title. It's like a working subtitle anyway. Merry Christmas to you was another variant title of it. You know when this was written, by the way? Uh, uh, when? It was written in 1945 by Robert Wells and Mel Torme, the Velvet Fog. Mel Torme. And it's a great story. They were writing partners and they were working on stuff. It was the middle of July. It was hot as Hades. And Mel Torme comes up to his writing partner, who I guess did a lot more instrumentation than lyrics. He comes up to his piano and he finds this spiral notepad. And Wells had written on the pad just some lines like chestnuts roasting, Jack Frost nipping. Yuletide carols, folks dressed up like Eskimos. And it turns out that it was so hot that Wells was trying to cool off by writing down things to make him think about winter. And he just wrote them on a pad. And Mel Torme saw it and 45 minutes later had written the entire freaking song. Oh my gosh. That's how quickly they wrote the song. That is wild. But interestingly enough, Mel Torme didn't do the original recording. The famous original recording was Nat King Cole. And I thought I'd play a little bit of Nat King Cole. I think everybody on the planet's probably heard this. And I'm going to play this because I want to take you back in time because this song has a very special place in my heart. So here's a little bit of Nat King Cole's The Christmas Song. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe help to make the season bright tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight the greatest story i can tell you about this song it's another one of those i'm driving in la stories and i'm crying behind the wheel of my car So in 1985, Uncle Steve and I went to New York to visit some friends of mine from college in advance of the holiday season. So we got to go to New York for the first time ever and see the Christmas display in front of Rock, 30 Rock, and the ice skating and what Manhattan looked like decorated for Christmas. It was a fabulous trip. So we're driving home and we're coming off of Staten Island into New Jersey. And as I'm going up the hill on the bridge, 
I'm in my mom's car because she didn't want me to take my car. She was afraid that it wouldn't make the trip. <laughs> and as I'm going up the bridge, there's this pinging noise in the engine of the car. Bing, 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 bing. Steve and I are looking at each other and it just escalates, gets louder. Bang, 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 bang. And it sounds like somebody's inside the hood of the car banging on the hood with a hammer. So I get to the top and I glide down the backside of the bridge. And the very first exit takes us into New Jersey. And I come off the exit. There's a garage right across the street. We just pull through. And as I'm driving into the gas station, they are laughing as I'm pulling in. They're laughing. They could hear you coming. Yeah. That I've blown a rod. Something's happened badly with the car. You know, this is 1985. We don't have any cell phones. Who knows from a cell phone? So next door is this place called the Liberty Tavern. And so we go in, Steve and I go in. And from the payphone, I call my dad, collect from this bar. And I go, the car's dead. The garage is laughing at us. It's that bad. So he goes, all right, give me a few minutes. Where are you at? I give him the number of the payphone in the bar. <laughs> I sit there. I have to wait for my dad to call me back. So... While we're sitting at the bar, they play the Nat King Cole Christmas album. It's only about 35 minutes. <laughs> and I heard it, I don't know, seven times. No. Maybe eight, maybe eight between waiting for the phone call from my dad. And he goes, All right, we're setting up a flatbed to pick you up. So we had to wait there for the, you know, from South Jersey for the flatbed to arrive to load the car and then drive back to Bridgeton. And we sat at the Liberty Tavern for a minimum of three hours waiting for this flatbed. And the first song on the album is this. So we knew the album was resetting every time we heard those opening strings of the Nat King Cole Christmas song. I have that album. I went back and bought it on purpose. I have it in my collection. <laughs> and every time I play that album, I can't help but think of sitting in the Liberty Tavern in Fords, New Jersey with your Uncle Steve. But that version you heard, interestingly enough, was not the original recording. So they recorded the track in June of 46, and Nat King Cole wanted to do it again, and he wanted strings. And the label wasn't interested in that. And he goes, no, I want to do it. I want to try this with the string section. And they bought the string section. They did the whole thing, and it became you know, this massive, massive hit. So they recorded it in August of 46, and it became... A hit on both the pop and R&B charts that Christmas. It's the definitive version, like we're talking about with Hootie and the Blowfish. You can't do a version of the song that sounds like this and compete with this. Right. So I'm with you. I like this song. It's fine, but I'm not a Hootie and the Blowfish fan, and this doesn't do anything to the legend of the song. So it's toward the bottom for me. Same here. That brings us to track 10. Track 10 is called Ave Maria plus intro, and this is by 11... And Chris Cornell.
Put a fork in me. I'm done. <laughs> this is my fourth favorite song. This is my least favorite. Hi. First of all, it's 11 minutes. Must be all the religious trauma. No, 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 no. I love Chris Cornell, but this reads like Engelbert Humperdinck. Maybe that's why I love it. That's why I hate it. If you don't believe me, <laughs> let me share. And now I only have the live version. Yeah, let me share a little bit so I can show you how Chris Cornell's impersonating <laughs> our dear friend Engelbert. It's not as long as the Chris Cornell version. This version's only 412. Chris Cornell's is like seven minutes, I think. Ave Maria. You are the reason to believe. Believe. The power of your love and believe there is good in all of us and believe that you are in heaven above watching So anyway, I'm not sure why Chris Cornell's impersonating Engelbert Humperdinck. And I don't like the song. I don't like Engelbert Humperdinck. And now I have beef with Chris Cornell. I don't really. But I don't care for the song. The song has an interesting history, by the way. It's become this thing that it's supposedly about Mary, but it's not. So this was a song written by um, Franz Schubert based on a book called The Lady of the Lake by Walter Scott. It was a big narrative poem from 1810. And Schubert wrote an entire opus, Opus 55. He created seven songs around the stories in this material called The Lady of the Lake. This is a song about a woman praying to Mary. It's not about Mary. Interesting. And so now it's become absorbed into this is a song about Mary and it becomes part of Christmas. It's got nothing to do with Christmas. And it's not a Christmas song. That's wild. Let's move on. It bothers me that it's included on a Christmas collection. I have an appreciation for the song, but its use here on a Christmas album is not cool. And Chris Cornell's kind of a cutting edge musician. So to do an Engelbert Humperdinck redo doesn't make any sense to me. Bottom. It's my least favorite on the record. I don't think he did an Engelbert Humperdinck redo. I, I think his version was completely different from Engelbert Humperdinck. They had all these crazy warbly harmonies in there that frankly sound a little spooky, a little creepy. His vocal performance reads as Engelbert Humperdinck. All right, maybe. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do a vocal performance that matches Engelbert Humperdinck when you're Chris Cornell. Be who you are. Don't be Ingy. Fair enough. But they really, I mean, they really did make their own thing with this song. I mean, there's Yeah, they like, made a seven-minute dirge in the middle of the album. Not a dirge. It's, to me, it's spooky. Okay. To me, it's very, like, the scene in A Christmas Carol where, I think it's the Ghost of Christmas Present, shows off want and, need. I forget want the other need or want and No, it's not yeah. want and need. I know what you're talking about. That's only cool anyway. in the really weirdly animated version of that, by the way. Have you ever seen that? No. Oh, it was this version that used to be on when I was a kid of the Christmas Carol. It's like a 30-minute version of it. And it was not fully animated. Like, they didn't have the money, so they did this kind of cross-dissolved thing. So, like, the style was weird. And man, when he opened his robe up and showed those kids, it was the creepiest thing I'd ever seen as a kid. And I think, obviously, Charles Dickens and A Christmas Carol, that's the example of 
spookified Christmas, but that is a thing. I mean, Christmas can be spooky. It happens in dark, winter, cold. Like there are definitely some spooky elements to the season. And I enjoy when people lean into that. It's unique and cool. And I think they did that in this version. They had the calliope. So it had, there's like a breakdown that sounded almost circusy in there, which has its own kind of creepy elements to it. So yeah, I just think this version is very interesting, very well done. I love listening to it. It sends a little chill down my spine, honestly, and I really enjoy it. It's not for me. I I disagree with all of that. And if the Virgin Mary was a witch, maybe I'd buy into all of that. But we're praying to Mary. It doesn't need to be spooky. Anyway, I'm not a fan. Well, I disagree. Okay. You can disagree. You're just not going to convince me. I don't want to convince you. You don't have to. My least favorite. Let's have our little um, abominable snow stout. Oh, we're going to wrap this snow stout up? So as it's warmed up, maybe I get a hint of coconut. It's not particularly strong, but everything else I said about it before holds true. And I do like this one slightly better than the last one. And I'm going to give it a 4.75. I'm glad I left margin of error on the last one. I also like this one marginally better than the last one, but I still (laughs) would not drink it again. (laughs) And so this is Christmas, and what will she drink? If I had 10th points, I might give this one a 2.8 or a 2.9. But seeing as how I don't, I unfortunately have to stick with (laughs) 2.75. And I feel bad. I do. You don't have to feel bad. I promise. I knew going in, this is not your wheelhouse. And I made the decision that I got control of the beer. I've been very good to you and I've had control of the beer all season. But when I saw these, I had to have them. This is my gift to me. And you could just (laughs) suck it up and deal with it. Talk about a sad adult Christmas. (laughs) This is my gift to me and you can deal with it. So let's try to take the wax off the last bottle. Ugh. I'm so not looking forward to that particular aspect of it. But I am so looking forward to this beer. Well, of course. If I am the Nightmare Before Christmas girly of the family, you are the Grinch girly. And this is how the stout stole Christmas. Love the beer, hate the plastic. Hello, Tarpon River. This one actually is, the wax is a lot thinner. So while Abigail continues to work on her wax slash plastic. I have notes. On the wax. You do? For Tarpon River? Yeah. Could you write it up for me? I'll send it. uh... Yeah. Tarpon River. Why the heck would you do this to me? (laughs) (laughs) Question mark, question mark. Question mark, question mark. How the Stout Stole Christmas. The Grinch embarked on a mission to pilfer some delicious brownies, but to his astonishment, he stumbled upon a hidden treasure beneath the tree. Widow Jane Bourbon Barrels. Little did he know what mysterious elixir had been aging in these barrels since 2021. Curiously, he carried the barrels home and with the utmost care transferred the enigmatic dark liquid into enchanting bottles. As the Grinch gently poured the liquid into the bottles, a tantalizing aroma of... I'm sorry, a tantalizing aroma? (laughs) Whatever. A tantalizing aroma of freshly baked chocolate brownies wafted through the air, tempting his senses. Unable to resist, he found himself compelled to taste the captivating elixir. In that moment, he discovered a profound affection for the exquisite dark liquid as it harmoniously captured the essence of decadent dark chocolate brownies, succulent black cherries infused with the richness of bourbon, and a luxurious multi 
character. And by the way, I can make the case that my lack of smell is what makes me the Grinch. You're going to like the black cherryness in this. Yeah, the tasting notes say dark chocolate brownie, black cherry, and bourbon. This is the perfect dark elixir for me. Well, I don't want to drink bourbon, but... Oh, no foam at all. It's like mud. Cheers. Season's cheers or whatever. One final cheers for season three. It's cherry, all right. Oh, yeah. Love the cherry. You're right. There's very few bubbles in that. I like it. You're a mean one. Hmm. I just sent you a picture of my wax shards, if you're interested. And this is a 15.9%. This is the lowest one we've had. Lowest, yeah. The lowest one. Well, I'm going to enjoy my third wean of the day. Don't know how you're feeling over there in Gainesville, but I'm enamored by these three beers. This one's interesting because it really does taste like cherry. It really does. I think the second one's going to be my favorite of the day. And I, I say that because I wish this had some effervescence to it. It's almost like drinking a port or a wine. I, mean, I don't want to say it's like drinking a port in the classic sense, but it's very low on the carbonation index. That doesn't make it bad. To think it's a beer, I would like a few more bubbles in it. That's fair. You know how I feel about this beer. I don't know what else I have to say. Like <laughs> You're going to say it all on your rating. I'm going to say it all in six songs. Happy Crimble. <laughs> so why don't we move on to track 11, Christmas in the City by Mary J. Blige and Angie Martinez. Christmas jams at the tunnel shop through hustle and bustle. Snow and lights make wonderland out this concrete jungle. There's miracles on 34th Street. On a train, get that lady with all them bags you see. Radio City for the Christmas show. We making angels in the snow. Giving honey lots of kisses under mistletoe. Snowball fights in courtyards. See Spanish Harlem sing Feliz Navidad. New York State of Mind at Christmas time. And the all the children showing. Their new clothes and toys and things that they got for Christmas this year. They're full of happiness and shit on Christmas in the city. I'm so glad I'm living to see another Christmas day. Gotta show the Lord I appreciate his blessings on this bad day. probably in my bottom half. It's another one that's just fine. It's an original song, which I do like and appreciate. And I like all the references to, like you said before, like seeing what Manhattan looks like when it's dressed up for Christmas, which I've never been to New York City at all. So I've never seen it with or without Christmas decorations. That's what I mean. Everyone talks about it's the most magical place to be around Christmas time and it's on my bucket list one day to check off seeing Christmas in New York City. But yeah, I appreciate this song just fine. And in the larger sense, I really appreciate that they included rap and hip hop and R&B like the, I would call this song more R&B. But I very much appreciate that they included those genres on this album because I don't tend to think of those genres doing Christmas songs. Well, you know, the first disc in this collection had Christmas and Hollis, I think it was called, which was the first rap Christmas song I ever remember hearing. And I think if you go through the three albums, they always included that genre. Mm-hmm. And the songs got more elaborate. Like the song we played earlier, 
is way more elaborate than Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC was on the first album. So I appreciated that too, because it exposed me to something I normally wouldn't have listened to. Again, when you get a collection like this, you get to hear different styles of music. You know, maybe you like them, maybe you don't, but at least you get to hear them. You get to make that decision. Maybe you find something you like you didn't know you liked. And I like this song a lot. It's funny you referenced that trip to New York, because I was thinking about that when I heard this, about the things that I saw in Manhattan that year when I went up there and how cool that was to be there and have that experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a few weeks back, I was watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and I hate the television broadcast of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And I watched it because the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Band was in it this year. They performed and did very well. And that's why I watch the parade. I watch it every year. I put it on. What else am I doing? I'm sitting here. It's two hours of Al Roker making bad jokes that have been written for him by marketing guys because the whole thing's about advertising now. But if I was sitting on the side of the road watching the parade, I'd probably have a great experience. And it's just one of those traditions. And so going up to Manhattan and seeing that tree that year, it had a lot of meaning to me to be able to do that. Uh And this song reminded me of that. In a lot of ways. So I like this song pretty much. I put this in the top half of the album for me because of that, because it's an original song, because it has a very unique perspective. I mean, it's no Ave Maria. I understand that. Definitely no Ave Maria. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you put the Ave Maria in your four slot (laughs) and dissed this track. And I like this track and dissed Ave Maria. (laughs) I find fascinating. It's because I don't have religious trauma that I can like a song like Ave Maria, I think. (laughs) My dislike of Ave Maria has nothing to do with religious trauma. It's Engelbert trauma. (laughs) Engelbert trauma. All right. Track 12 is Santa Claus is Back in Town by Johnny Lang. Got no sled with reindeer And no sack on my back Just in me coming out of your house In my big black Cadillac Oh, it's Christmas time, baby And the snow is falling really like this song. This is high on my list on this album. And I like this song in general. Santa Claus is back in town. I really like this version of it because the piano to me feels very Jerry Lee Lewis, I guess, is the best comparison. It's fast paced. It almost sounds like his fingers are tumbling over each other as he's going from one side of the piano to the other. I guess is the best way I can describe it because it just, it happens so fast and it's very jaunty sounding. I can't think of any other words to describe it, but I really enjoy the piano on this one. I was going to say, I'm very sad that you wouldn't say that it was very John Carroll because that's who it reminded me of. Jerry Lee Lewis is much more of a banger of a keyboard player. Uh John Carroll's much more of this kind of aficionado of the piano. I think this style of play makes me think of John Carroll, believe it or not. That's so interesting. 
Shout out to John Carroll, who did appear with an original song in our last year's Christmas bonus. If anybody wants to hear John Carroll play the keyboard the way I think this song sounds, listen to that episode from last season. I wonder if he's ever done a version of this song. You know, I'll ask him because this would be perfect for him. You know the history of this song, by the way? I don't. I, I'm sure you're going to tell me. This song was a uh, song written by Lieber and Stoller. Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller, famous writers for Elvis back in the day. They did a lot of songs for Elvis, did a lot of songs for a lot of people, but they did quite a bit of writing for Elvis. And this song was the opening track of the Elvis Christmas album in 1957. Like I said to you before, the best-selling Christmas album in American history. This feels like an Elvis Christmas song. Well, you were saying about Jerry Lee Lewis, right? So it's that Sun Records style. That's the keyboard element, right? I don't know that the keyboard's very prominent in Elvis's version. So why don't we listen to a little bit of Elvis's version? Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Well, it's Christmas time for the baby. And the snow is falling on. with reindeer no sack on my back you gonna see me coming in a big black Cadillac Also a good version of the song, but I do like this Johnny Lang version. Now, the interesting thing about Johnny Lang, how old do you think Johnny Lang is? Currently or in 1997? When he's singing the song. I don't know. He's not a name I know. So I'm going to guess he was popular in like the 50s. So in his 70s when he sings this song. Yeah, he was born in 1981. What? Which means he was 16. What? When he was singing this song. Whoa! <laughs> Crazy, right? Wait, okay. So when was he at his peak popularity? So he's an American blues, gospel, and rock singer and songwriter. He's had five albums. Born in Fargo, North Dakota. He started playing guitar for friends at the age of 12. Somebody saw him at some point, And two years later, A&M Records was invited to come see him at a live performance. So he would have been, quote unquote, 14 at the point, right? Oh, my God. And uh, they signed him. And they moved to Minneapolis and independently released the album Smokin' when Lang was 14. Then he signed and he released Lie to Me in 1997 at the age of 15. And this album that we're talking about is Christmas of 1997 when he had turned 16. That is so crazy. And he sounds nothing like a 16-year-old. And then there's another little thing about, you know, whatever happened to Johnny Lang, because what's the deal? Yeah, what is the deal? <laughs> I've never heard the name before. Yeah. Uh, Lang became a Christian in 2000. Oh, thank God. After he did this album. Yeah, and then vanished. Oh, and then vanished. He got raptured. He got raptured. But anyway, that's the voice of a 16-year-old you're listening to. And it's an amazingly good performance of this song. Yeah, it is. 
I like it better than the Elvis version. I do too. Although that's a pretty classic performance on that Elvis album. And that might be my favorite track on the Elvis album. I'd have to give that some serious thought. I think that's a great opening track for that album. Mm -hmm. And it is an original Christmas song, which is cool. But it is a bluesy song. And this guy gives it a better performance. I agree with you. Amazing performance. And again, snapshot of an era because he was a thing for like a hot minute in the late 90s. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to track 13. Yet another song called Christmas Song. This one is by Tim Reynolds and Dave Matthews. She was his girl. He was a She'd be his wife and make him a husband. A surprise on the way. So this one's interesting because it's a very storytelling heavy song, but the story is the very well-known story of Mary and Joseph and their son, Jesus. I think it's really interesting and a fun challenge to tell a story-driven song, to write a story-driven song about a story that is well-known and find what interesting elements you're going to focus on to make it a unique telling of the story. And so I really appreciate this song being on here. I do have many questions. Like the people cheering at the beginning, did they know this song? Like, was this a Dave Matthews standard? this Christmas song? I don't know because it is a live performance. So I've never heard this song. I don't know if this was an original song for this album, but the number of cheers that he got when he started playing this song leads me to believe that people knew it. I've never heard a produced version of the song, but yes, it's recognized by the audience. This feels like something he played on the live circuit and he released it here as a live version because otherwise, why wouldn't you release the produced version? Yeah, true. If you had a produced version that was a single, you would put this on here. I feel like this was something that he played live that the fans knew and he donated the live version to this album for the fundraiser. Mm -hmm. By the way, I like the song for the same reasons you do. And that's me saying something about Dave Matthews because I'm not a huge Dave Matthews fan for the same reason I'm not a Hootie and the Blowfish fan. I don't ever latch on to anything that either of these guys do, but I, I like this. You know what it reminds me of? You familiar with the song by Squeeze called Christmas Day? Yeah. It's the story of Mary and Joseph modernized. Yes. I know the one you're talking about. Let me share a little clip. Mary and Joseph drove into town searching for a place to stay. The moon was up and his foot was down. A miracle was on its way. They tried the hotels, the motels, the bed and breakfast locals, but no one seemed to have any room. Better find a 
good song that is a great song but the point is that dave matthews kind of splits the difference on that he takes the traditional story and what we just heard from squeeze and he kind of navigates down the middle he tells a little bit of a modern retelling of that or puts a modern spin on it Mm -hmm. while leaving the story from its original roots yes and i do appreciate that from a writing standpoint and i'll say it one more time dave matthews is somebody who on paper i should love and i just don't really embrace it. It doesn't move me for whatever reason. And I can't put my finger on it. Hmm. But I do like this song. You know, it's not my top half on this album, but it's like the middle third. Yeah, uh, middle third is a lot of songs. Yeah, on this album, it'd be about five. Approximately. After having tried to teach your Uncle Derek math in the last episode, (laughs) the middle third of 16 is about five. Hey, at least we haven't miscounted anything yet. Well. Let's move on to track 14. Christmas is now drawing near at hand by Steve Winwood. Christmas is now drawing near at hand. Come serve the Lord and be at his command. And God a potion for you will provide. And give a blessing to your soul beside. Down in the garden where flowers grow in ranks Down on your bended knees and give the Lord thanks Down on your knees and pray both night and day Leave off your sins and live a bright eye Weirdly enough, this also sounds to me like it belongs on Sting's If on a Winter's Night. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, except that it's Steve Winwood. Steve Winwood falls in that same category as Hootie and the Blowfish and Dave Matthews for me. He's an amazing artist, an amazing career. I like stuff from Traffic. I'm not a huge fan. He had a major comeback in the 80s as a solo artist. He had one album in particular. It was just explosive. Everybody bought it. I didn't even buy it. You know, I bought some albums in that era that were major hits that I look at and I go, oh, shoot, I bought this. I didn't buy this one then. It's fine music. It didn't move me. And I like this song. I like this performance by Steve Winwood. I don't really have a major beef with Steve Winwood, but it's one of those things that I just never embraced. The other thing about this song is this is the one I referenced earlier that was specifically a Catholic church Christmas carol. Mm-hmm. So that kind of declares where he stands religiously. Like I was saying at the beginning, if you choose particular songs as an artist, you're kind of revealing yourself a little bit to the audience. So this reveals a little bit more to me as a fan of music about Steve Winwood that I never knew. But again, this is another one in the back half of the album. There's a lot of these kind of slow moving carols that make the back half of the album more the thing that I would listen to late at night on Christmas Eve, sitting around the fireplace, than in my car driving around town where I would listen to anything except for Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You. That's the one I don't want to hear, but I like those kind of secular, fun, 
rock-derived Christmas songs. And the religious stuff, I'll play at Christmas Eve because maybe I still do identify a little bit with that. Hmm. I remember as a kid being home and they would broadcast mass from the Vatican. Oh, wow. It would be on late at night because it was live at the Vatican. There are so many hours ahead of us. And it would be Christmas Eve and the Pope would come out and do mass. It was this weird kind of thing. I wouldn't watch Mass at the Vatican now, but I might listen to Steve Winwood's track here in that same time frame. Wow. Late at night, by the fireplace, with the tree lit. So I do appreciate it for what it is, but it's in the bottom third. Yeah. It reads like a prayer. Yeah, right. It has all those doth, whose conversation God doth not dislike. It's very Ave Maria. No, but I like Ave Maria. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was trying to point out. I like that version of Ave Maria because mm. it has the weird spooky elements to it. I don't want to come serve the Lord and be at his command. So I reject this song. Make a note. Let me write that down. Abigail does not need to. Nope. I wrote it on wax and spare plastic parts. Oh, God. We have so which I wax. have a lot of. <laughs> we have a lot of wax. All right, let's listen to what I believe will be your third favorite song. It's not. I've given you my top three. Oh, what was your third favorite? It was early on. Natalie Oh, Children Go Where I Send Me. Yes. But you're on the right track. On the cusp. (laughs) No, my on the cusp was Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, this is so embarrassing. Do I have to give you a hint? (laughs) Number five. Yeah, sure. I think this could potentially be my fifth favorite song. Okay, but you didn't do all the math, so that. You know, no, you didn't do all the math. I, I did the math. You did. <laughs> this is Oh Holy Night by Tracy Chapman. Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. This is the night of the dear Savior. Because of your album that you made of your favorite Christmas songs, The Ghosts of Christmas Presents, which we referred to earlier on this album, this to me is the definitive version of Oh Holy Night. And I think it's a beautiful version. This is definitely in the top half of this album for me, just because I think it's beautiful. For a really, really long time, I only knew Tracy Chapman from this song, and I thought she was a man because Tracy is sort of a unisex name and she has this very deep raspy voice and I never realized she was a woman and I think we've talked about this before 
I was listening to Brett Denon. <laughs> Absolutely. We have talked about this before. <laughs> and my roommate at the time, I don't remember what he said. It was like, what black woman are you listening to? Or something like that. He thought I was listening to a black woman. And I was like, oh, no, this is Brett Denon. He's um the whitest man, actually. He actually gives off light. He's so bright. Yeah. And you thought there was a Brett Denon song that sounded specifically like Tracy Chapman. Oh, there's absolutely a song on the radio that I hear on Sirius that when it comes on, I can never tell if it's Brett Denon or Tracy Chapman. And actually, when you listen to this, her voice hears deeper than his, generally speaking. Yes. But they float in that same timber where I can't tell them apart. I'm totally with you on that. And so for a long time, when this was the only Tracy Chapman song I knew, I assumed Tracy Chapman was a man. But the kind of humming at the beginning, that is the giveaway. That sounds like a woman. So this is my fifth favorite on the album. I agree with you. To me, this is the definitive version of the song. I couldn't tell you another version of the song that even ranks near this. I find this beautiful. And it's an old, old, old song. It's from 1843. And it's a great story of how the song was written. So there was a town called Roquemoire in France, and the church organ had been renovated in 1843. And to celebrate the event, the parish priest persuaded a poet to write a poem. And so he wrote this Christmas poem. And then afterwards, in the same year, somebody composed the music for it. And the song premiered in 1847 with an opera singer singing it. So it's got a long traditional history coming out of France. It's one of those songs we know we've been talking a lot about. I'm sitting around at the end of Christmas Eve decompressing. This would be on that playlist. This is that kind of song that would make that late night. I'm replacing midnight mass with traditional Christmas carols. And this would be one on that list. This is, to me, the best version of the song that exists. Okay, let's move on to the final track of the album. We Three Kings by Patti Smith. to my least favorite song on the album oh are you not an rem fan i am an rem fan and i know that patty smith is like a huge influence on michael stipe in particular but yeah i um what the heck is this <laughs> it's my penultimate but i give her credit for it's so weird but we were talking earlier about if you're going to do a traditional song make it your own i know but not like this <laughs> all right i'm going to share a song with you that you know i know sir Fade 
same song that's a great entry in the abigail hummel school of speaking smartly about music Dad. thank you for the credit my dear this is interesting to me because the song on the christmas album is 15 years earlier was that patty smith on that rem track it was wasn't it yes it was that's patty smith on blue on their final album released in 2012 i want to say it says 2011 right there right in front of you it says 2011 right in front of me <laughs> so Either this is who Patty Smith is, or this Christmas song was a nugget of where she was going with this. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to a lot of Patty Smith music. So when I heard this song, it wasn't a surprise to me because of this track, Blue. But, you know, you either like the effort or you don't. For me, on a Christmas album, it's a little weird. I get it. But it's the penultimate track for me. But I certainly appreciate taking what you do and applying it to a classic traditional Christmas carol. This thing's ancient. And unfortunately, I put this in the bottom, but I would take this effort over what Hootie did. Yeah. So I probably should have rated this one a little bit higher just because it's what I want to hear from a Christmas song. But maybe this one didn't work for me. I think for me, it's just she sings so slowly. So like, yeah, well, everything else is interesting. The like voice in the background that speaks and like it is sonically interesting, but it's hard for me to be focused and be interested when she sings so slow. Like, I think that's maybe my major beef with it. But you could say that about Blue. That was my point on R.E.M.'s album. Yeah, no. Yeah, sure. Of course. Just a quick note about We Three Kings, because I don't think you realize that this is the first widely popular Christmas carol written in the United States of America. I sure did not know that. As far as traditional Christmas carols, this was written by John Henry Hopkins in 1857. He was a rector of an Episcopal church in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. He wrote the carol for a Christmas pageant in New York City, and it became the first widely popular Christmas carol in the United States. Good for him. Good for him, Abigail says. Sorry to take the history. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, some of us don't care about history. I understand. History and math are not... That was genuine good for him. The Pops and Ops podcast does not really embrace math or history or science. You are not. We're just a literature podcast. Well, that was a very special Christmas three. Do you have any final thoughts? Do I have any final thoughts? I like the album. I like playing it in its entirety. But as I realized around the house when I play it, mom's like, ah. She gets to the back half and she's not a big fan of it. <laughs> she's like, what? what is this We Three Kings version? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that that's a real, that's an outlier. I'd say that's an outlier. <laughs> but of the three of them, she didn't like this one of the three is the sense that I got. This is her least favorite of the three. It is her least favorite of the three. Wow. That's the sense I got. And I didn't have the same reaction to it. I like that back half because... I like some quiet times around the holidays. Do you? 
Yeah, I do. And they're the songs I like when it's quiet. I like shutting every light off in the house except the Christmas tree and sitting there with a glass of eggnog or a 12 and a half or 16 and a half percent beer, which is what I'm going to do tonight when we get off this call. You have three. You have, I have three, three halves. I have three halves left. I'll be finishing mine quietly under the tree. Uh, next to the tree. Not under the tree. <laughs> Maybe under the tree. Why not? All right. Well, we have a couple final orders of business. We have to rate this beer, first of all. How the stout stole Christmas. You know what? Of all the three of them, this one's changed the most as it's warmed up. I am going to give this a 475. I had a fabulous night on beer. These are all in my wheelhouse. And if you like high gravity stouts, sweet stouts, these are all going to serve you well. And I think of the three, this was my favorite. However, I would not drink it again. Grinch. So I have to give it a 2.75. You could have eked it up to a three. You're not going to drink it. Oh, yeah. So I guess three is your cutoff, isn't it? That's why you've been under 2.75. These are great beers for me. But that's got to be your category. They're great beers if this is your category. And that's all I can say about it. If it's not your category, you're not going to like them. They're challenging. They're very sweet. They're thick. It's almost like drinking syrup. They are very heavy and viscous. And they're boozy. And I don't care for that. So now I have to give you an album. Is that right? Well, let's remind everybody this is the end of season three. So season four is going to start on March 8th, 2024. And so you have to tell me, because if I've counted this out right, we had the Alanis Marset album that I gave you. And then we had the jukebox episode with Uncle Derek, and now we've had the Christmas special. So it's your turn, and I need to know what album you are going to give me. For our season four opener, I will be assigning you The Same Old Blood Rush with a New Touch by Cute is What We Aim For. There's a lot of words there. You're going to have to text it to me. <laughs> i figured <laughs> i don't know any of the th i can't even make the connection between any of the words blood rush cute something i will send it to you are you like i am running out of first run albums yeah there are more that i could give you no i have a handful left too but i think at some point in season four we have a couple of options and maybe the fans can weigh in on this I have plenty of albums that I passed the first time through and I have plenty of options. Or we can look at some list of famous albums and things that maybe neither one of us heard that are quintessential albums on a list like that. That would be another option. Mm -hmm. Or we can increase the frequency of the jukebox. And I think of all those options, I have so much fun having guests on that I think as we run out of stuff that I would increase the frequency of the jukebox. That would be one of my choices. So if the fans want to weigh in and tell us which of those three options they would rather hear, whether we go back and pick albums that have meaning for us, albums that are just on a list of things we ought to have heard, or have guests with albums that have been suggested, mm -hmm. we'll take any of those as options. But I think at some point in season four, we're going to have to do that because I'm getting to the end of my first run list. I want to remind everybody also that we will have that playlist of Christmas songs from artists we reviewed this year, and that'll be available on Spotify. We also have the list from the first two seasons. So there's three playlists up that explore Christmas songs by artists that we've talked about. Yes, and they're a lot of fun. I highly recommend checking those out. 
They are a lot of fun. So we'll try to put all those links in the show notes. In the meantime, if you need more Pops on Hops content, you can find us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at Pops on Hops Pod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be a huge help to us if you would go leave us a rating or a review. You can also visit our super cool website, popsonhopspod.com. That's where we keep bonus photos, videos, and other materials related to each of our biweekly episodes. That is also where you can find our virtual jukebox for a chance to submit your favorite album and even your voice to appear on the pod. And on behalf of Hops, And Pops. We'll see you next time. Comes the time for drinking. And I really have to ask if the ABV is this high. How much longer can I last? Happy holidays. Bye. When you hold it like that, it's a bad sign. Hold the bottle up. Look, look. You take the knife. I guess I never worked with knife skills with my daughter before. Why are you stressing me out? I went just above the cap, right? And I slid it this way. See? I see. I understand what and you're doing. And then I rotated it around. You're not... You're not uh, what are you doing? I can't get through it the way you, you can. I'm telling you, I can't. This is my holiday gift to you. How to work a knife.